Welcome to episode 96 of We Going In Presents. We're back today to finish what we started last week, and that's the super compelling interview with the one and only DJ Redmatic of the world famous Beat Junkies and the Visionaries. In part one, we finished by talking about his work with the Beat Junkies Institute of Sound. We pick up on that in part two and talk more about the Visionaries, how Filipinos have made incredible contributions to the hip hop culture, and much more. Be sure to hit up the links after the interview to check out more on Repmatic, as well as my books, including Rock, Rock, Rock On, the story of Robert P.H. slash Pumpkinhead Diaz. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated, you know, by the 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 Beat Junkies Institute of Sound and, and what it does and just the fact that there's that space that exists now. Like, I wish that was there when I was younger, right? Like, um, what kind of attitudes do you feel like the kids and, and their families come to the school with? And like, what kind of expectations do you see? when when you have you know students you know enter that space that's a good question um well i think it does help a lot a lot of them come because they're fans of us Mm. you know so because it's like oh if we're gonna learn how to dj why am i learn from the beat junkies and stuff like that uh again we try to tell them like what i said before we don't promise you a career like if you're trying to like think you're going to be famous and all that stuff it's like we're not here to show you that shit (laughs) oh no you know, it's like you're gonna be you're gonna be disappointed. <laughs> you know, if you're trying like maybe go to another school that will help you get to that. You know, if that's what you want, you know, we tell them if you want to, you know, if you want to learn how to do, you know, spin at the at the uh uh they, you know the big big clubs or something like that. Maybe go to another school that will teach you what the right to do. But our thing was just like, sure, we we you know we can tell you this like that stuff but i don't think it you know for us as who we are as as djs and as individuals that don't sit with good with us you know and more power to everyone that wants to do that but we you know again we don't want to be like the people that are always complaining being like like you know have the al bundy syndrome and shit right. like that you know you know we want to be able to say you know instead of us complaining what are we going to do about it and so i think again this is the reason why we have the school is like instead of us complaining Let's, let's let's do let's do something we don't expect to change you know the, you know everything to change but if if we can help contribute like at least a little parts of it you know we're, we're doing our best to do our job and stuff you know that's you know that's I, I think it's our responsibility whether we like it or not and that's what and I think that's the problem too is that again there's a disconnect between the older generation and the new generation so we're trying at least in our end we're trying to trying to you know fix fix that part you know no, that, that, that's incredible. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, a lot to obviously be like learned through any kind of music. What skills, what attitudes do you think kids are learning by going through, um, you know, your, your different courses? Like, like what does learning to, to DJ at a young age, like how does that help a kid? Um, you know, not just learning music, but like life too. Yeah. I mean, I'll it goes not only with our, 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 our kids, but it's also the adults, you know? So, um, we tell them, you know, you know, it, this, for a lot of them, this is help, definitely get help people get out of their shells. Also, a lot of them, this is there, this is therapeutic for them. You know, um, we offer them also community, a community because when we were coming up, uh, it's either, you know, sometimes you don't have a crew, you just DJ by yourself in your practice. And then when the junkies were formed, I, I was lucky to, you know, all of us were lucky to have each other to like push each other. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. 
it's interesting now and it's crazy to see how how there's a big community from our school that a lot of them that they've never met each other to get met at the school became they're in the same class they became lifelong friends um uh they would or they dj together outside of this uh, out of the school you know um uh they share you know they meet with other students from other classes you know you know they have something to talk about and share and you know like it's just it's it's so humbling just to see that when you're like damn that's crazy how they're all like they're they're all they're all you know getting together and wanting to learn so we just like we just had a graduation two weeks ago uh one of our oldest we had a student oldest student we ever had 66 years old we took a bus all the way from riverside to Whoa. all the way to our, our to our school in glendale just to take her class that's awesome right we had another student uh he was the he was the oldest and he was like 56 or 57, I think, but he, he was a judge. He's always wanted to learn how to DJ in college and stuff, but he never did. But now he's like, dude, he's a, a, a municipal judge. Uh, he was appointed by, uh, by Obama and stuff like that for the city. You know, he worked for the city of LA and he took the. He's like, man, I want to learn how to DJ. It's funny. His, his name is DJ justice. That's, that's, a dope that's name. awesome. Yeah. But he's like, yeah, you know, it's like, he would see him coming in from, you know, from wearing a suit and tie and stuff like that. I remember who's this guy. <laughs> no, but so, I mean, and then 60%, 60, 70% of our students are women. That's amazing. Yeah. Especially when you think about the composition of hip hop shows, how different that is. Totally. And it's cool because to see the women, women actually pick things up quicker than the guys. Cause you know, they're, they're not afraid to like, they want to learn. Uh, we we we're very lucky that we can offer them a space for you know that they feel you know they don't feel intimidated and stuff because you know hip hop is a more male dominated culture and stuff like that so and women they love to dance they love music but they're just so intimidated and stuff uh, and and we we try to tell them it's like don't you know we we'll teach you stuff but if it's up to you what you want to do don't don't be pressured that you have to do like you have to beat juggle and inner battles no do you. We're just showing you how to do the at least the fundamentals, and if you want to learn more, we'll teach you more. But it's up to you. And That's most right. of most of the time, once they we gave them that that you know that that jewel, they all shine and f figure out their own lanes and stuff. You know, so a lot of our students after they graduate, they're already DJing, doing a lot of clubs, doing their own things and shit like that. It's crazy just to see that. And then, of course, when they say, I got, we got taught by the beat junkies, you know, of course, it's like, oh, yeah, it makes you, you know, can't help but, you know, smile and stuff like that. No, that's incredible, man. I mean, what do you think is the most challenging piece for new DJs to pick up, you know, to to learn that might be like one of the bigger roadblocks to really um, getting where they want to be? Patience. Mm. Just because everybody wants every, you know, you know how today's. Uh, climate everybody wants it now they want you know it's a gimme 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 i want it now there's no it's like we try to tell them it's like it's like if you go to the gym if you go to martial you know if you take take martial arts if you do whatever whatever form it is whether it be kung fu or jiu-jitsu or karate or taekwondo and stuff like that you got to learn the fundamentals and you gotta and you're not gonna get you're not gonna get better overnight you gotta put in work that's no you know but the difference is we tell them have fun with it 
Are you doing this because you want to be famous and rich? Or are you doing this because you love doing it? And most of the time, if you love what you're doing, sure, it might take longer, but they'll come to you. You yeah. know, like, you know, that's what I look at. It. I mean, like, look, a lot of my heroes, a lot of my peers, a lot of my friends that are not, they're not, that are now big and famous, it took them at least 10 years to get where they're at mm. and stuff. So if you really think about it, you know, just when you think, oh, they're, they come out of nowhere. It's like, no, they've been putting in work. You just never got the chance, you know. But then it's, they were also telling them, like, how are you going to be different? You know, like, what's going to make you stand out? Because everybody sounds the same, right? So you have to figure that out. Like, what's going to make you different? Than the next person that was the thing right. you know from our coming up you have to be you have to be original so a lot of people i mean you know unfortunately it is the thing is like it's it's cool to copy whatever is hot there's you know and we tell them like sure that you may hot be today but you might not be hot tomorrow think about right. like think about having some type of longevity longevity sure you may not you're not going to be always be the top dog but if you keep on put consistently putting the work You'll get there one way or another. Right. And I, for, me, for me personally, I'd rather not be number one. I'd rather be number two, number three. Less pressure. Yeah. No, that, that that's that's a great point, man. I mean, it's 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 so cool to see too, just the way that that you guys have, you know, been able to create what what you have. Um, the other thing I'd love to see, man, is is I missed the show just because my kids had um basketball that night, but the visionaries out in LA was a few months ago now but you know you guys have been getting together for 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 some gigs which has been great to see you know what's been going on with the visionaries lately because it seems like there's um you know more more stuff happening where maybe there might be some new music hopefully you know what, right. what's been going on well i mean so our la last album we finally put out was in 2020 um before that it was like 13 years before we actually had an album and stuff so um uh the last you know the, our latest album which came out in 2020 it's called v um it's our fifth album um uh it, it's it's it was one of those things because like i know everybody was going through transitions whatever life whatever whatnot you know um you know for me personally i i, I want you know like you know, some people thought the visionaries broke up. We said we never broke up because we would do shows still, but we just never made new music. And, you know, it's one doing shows is nothing. It's like, man, it's like riding a bike. It's like nothing. But making music at the time, you know, for me personally, it was it was I, I don't like it. I figured out I don't like staying in studios like for a long time, period, long periods of time. You know, like how people like will go to studios and stay there till like late in the morning. It's like, no, nah, man, I you know. Um, I, for me personally too, also it was like, I had a, I wanted to, you know, grow as a, as a producer, as an artist, as a, a, a um, as a person, as an individual, because, you know, there are some things I couldn't do within the visionaries and stuff like that. So, um, I needed, I wanted me personally, I, you know, I want to step away from it just because, you know. I, I, I didn't want to be like forced to do things because, you know, when you're in a group, especially if you're a six man group, it's hard to, to navigate through that. Everybody has their own opinions and stuff. You some, you know, so there's a lot of things that I could not in, implement within a crew. I couldn't do that within the visionary. So I had to like, you know, step out at least for me and stuff. Uh, I know the guys were always talking about this doing an album. And I said, and for me, I was like, I don't want to do the album because we, it's like, Oh, we need to do an album. I was like, 
Ah, man, it should be like, like it should be natural. And I learned this from Jazzy Jeff. Um, is that um, a couple of things? It's like don't force the things, you know, mm-hmm. right? Just, just don't overthink it. Just if you make it, feel it. If you don't, don't, you know. And then if you have old stuff, don't hold on to it. Die empty. Let it go all out. You don't have to sell it. Just even give it out for free. And in that process, I learned to like just give out music and stuff. And I, I was just, and it ended up being, it ended up making me more creative and stuff because there was no pressure. Like, I don't need to do this. I have to, we have to do that. And then also that helped me also to learn about the business. Like, you know, you've got to be a student. If you're not being active about it, or at least then, you know, you like, because some of the guys weren't, you know, like they, they were like tripping out band camp. What's that? Like, you know, like, it's like, you got to like, you got to like, you have to want to do this stuff. Even though if I wasn't putting, you know, if I wasn't putting a bigger, um, uh, uh, not bigger, but like, you know, an official product, but, you know, you still try to put stuff out, create, create, you know, creative and stuff to keep things going and just manage your expectations. So when we made, when we made V finally, you know, it was like that time is like, you know, two mix had his, you know, had a little health scare. Unfortunately, he had his, he had his leg amputated because of diabetes and stuff like that. So that kind of like, you know, of course, a lot of people were passing away, especially coming down to the pandemic when when the pandemic hit. You know, a lot of people were that we knew were passing away. You were really realizing now, like, damn, we're not. A, you know, it's one thing when you're in your 20s and your 30s, even maybe your, you know, but when you get in your 40s and your 50s and shit, you just start to realize, like, oh shit, we still we made it, but now we're at a point where all our, you know, like we're seeing our our parents or grandparents or, you know family members passing away and you see all your homies passing away too. So, so it kind of like, it just shows like, okay, it made us kind of like, okay, let's start making music before we, while we still can. And then from the process of that, you know, we learned that we can start doing, you know, can't we, at least from my point of view, because I'm sure if you hear it from other, the other guys, they might tell you different stories and stuff. But from my point of view, it's just like, you know, I didn't, I didn't want, I didn't want no pressure to make the album. I just wanted like, let's just make it. Don't overthink it. Cause a lot of people are like, we need to do this this way. It's like, uh, here's the beats. Uh, but this one did also with this album, uh, usually it's Kiku and myself to do most of the productions and we'll get some guest producers on uh, this one. I said, if I want, you know, I said like, if I want, you want me to be more active in it, I'm going to do all the production and uh, uh, we're going to do, here's it is. Instead of me trying to overproduce you guys, or you do tell me this, Here's the beats. You write to whatever you like. And if you, you know, don't overthink it, right? Let's just, just record, you know, don't like, we need to do, no, just record. And that's how it is. It took us two years to, to make the album. And then when we dropped the album, uh, 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 unfortunately it was, it happened to be during the pandemic and stuff like that. So, um, and from there on out, it just made me realize let's, let's, you know, we can still do this. Let's just, you know, same thing. Let's just, you know, Let's keep on doing works and stuff. So the, which kind of leads up to what you're saying that we're, um, you know, we threw some, we, we threw some shows, we threw some festivals. We had some, now we're, you know, now we're starting to put music up again. Uh, with this one, uh, I told keys like this time you, I let this, I let the last one short turn now to lead and, you know, put the album together. You'd make the beats, you make the calls and stuff like that. So, you know, like, I, I, you know, I, for me as an artist and a producer and a group, 
I, I feel like I got my, I was able to do what I wanted to do, you know, with, you know, in the group context and stuff, you know, and then now it's my turn to like kind of, uh, you know, you know, kind of step back and let Key lead the group and shit, you know? Mm. Is that, how does that change things for you? You know, thinking about kind of your positioning there. It doesn't change nothing. I mean, I, well, let's say for the production parts, Key's handling all that. But Key and I, we still handle all the, you know, more of the, we will, we'll, everybody has their their inputs, but Key and I will lead the the charge in terms of like business parts, you know, like, you know, whether like I'll, I'll handle like, like sometimes like, you know, if you're doing promotions, right. I'll be the ones that are reaching out to DJs and sending out the music or, you know, hooking up radio shows or connections and stuff like that. Uh, um, uh, Key would handle like, you know, behind the scenes in terms of like maybe merchandise and stuff and handling some of our social media. So, you know, it's like, like in terms of the creative part, I, I maybe kind of step back a little bit and I just do the scratches or whatever. And I might put my input, but you know, cause I want to do is let him get, you know, let him get his, get, you know, it used to be just me and him and doing all the production. And most of the time, you know, we might not agree on everything this time. I just like, you know what? I was able to do it in short term. You know, so I nothing changes in terms of in terms of like maybe like just the overall thing because when to do the shows, I'll be the ones that like you know crack the whip in terms of like, here we got to rehearse. This is the song list. This is what we do. Like you know, my job as you know as the sound provider is to make the guys look good in terms of when we perform live. You know, so right. so nothing changed in terms of anything, but just in terms, I guess right now, in terms of music right now, uh, uh, I'm, I'm letting, you know, he's leading, leading the charge and stuff. And I just follow, you know, follow what he wants to do in that, and that, and that sense. And then the next, then after that, then, you know, we'll figure it out from then, you know, that's cool. And, and when, when you look at that, how important you think it's been is that everyone can kind of go do their solo stuff, do other groups, really kind of do their own thing, but then bring those experiences back together for the visionaries. I think it's very important to me. For me personally, I think it's very important because I, I bring whatever things I've done on my own. And a lot of it is, and here's the thing about, about the, the music business, the music industry is that, I hate to say this, but 90% is relationships, 10% is talent. You really have to like build relationships. And and what I've learned because of what I've done on my own, I was able to bring those relationships and experiences back to the back to the table and stuff. Granted, some guys might not agree with whatever it is, but you know, again, it's like you have to, you know. I think it's to me, I think it's very detrimental because you want, you want able to do what you really want to do within a group. Cause you, it's like a relationship you got, you know, you have to give and take. If you get to do what you want to do outside of the group, it's able to, it, it makes more things more, a little bit more easier when you get back to the group, because you're not feeling like you're being shut out or something like that. So, um, uh, and then plus whatever I bring to the, you know, to the tables is like, dude, this is what I've learned and stuff like that. Or someone, you know, key says, this is what I've learned, you know? I mean, granted, we're not going to agree on things. So we have to also, also as a, like a, like any type of relationship, you have to learn how to compromise and, you know, work with that and stuff. So, and it helped us to also like trying to be, you know, 
with our communications. In some ways, we become more closer. I mean, we still don't agree with a lot of things that how we handle, you know, how each individuals and stuff. But you know, that comes with the territories of being a group. You know, you're not going to agree with everybody, but you know, you have to learn how to navigate, and it's not easy. Right. And you know, just thinking about when I look at like the track listing, for example, for for Rawlsmatic, or I think about you know who you work with, um, you know, who you, who you're on Instagram with whoever, man, like it's clear that you have built over time, really like strong, positive relationships that like, you know, probably a lot of times go beyond music into actual friendships too. Like what's your secret to building meaningful relationships, um, in, in the music game, um, while also being able to stay true to kind of your musical vision, um, at the same time. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Um, I'm, you know, like, again, I'm, I'm a fan, but I also have to understand that this is, you know, the certain stuff is business and stuff, you know, um, I had to learn how to get, you know, learn how to get burned. You know, they say, they say not to meet your heroes. Most of the time it's true, but I've been lucky to meet my heroes that became friends. Then there's also people I met that are like, man, they're assholes, but you know, got to keep it moving. Um, I've also learned that you got to surround yourself with like-minded people, you know, that, you know, kind of like, for instance, when, when Rawls and I, you know, made the album, we didn't argue at all. We just like, Oh, that's cool. Let's do that. Dude. Not, no, there's no, Oh, okay. That's it. Let's go next one. And shit, you know, that sounds dope. Cool. You cool with that? Cool. You know? So that makes it easier when you find people that are like-minded, you know? Um, uh, it's also, it's also a very humbling thing when your heroes are, they also know of your work or, or become, or become fans of your work. That's like, to me, that's no money in the world can be, you know, pay for that. You know, like can change, you know, like if yeah. premieres, you know, premiere tells me like, yo, you're the, sh you know, like, man, you guys are the dopest shit. I was like, Psh. all right. I don't care what all you other people that don't like my shit. Premier yes. shit. I'm the shit. Right. You know, like, it doesn't matter doesn't matter to me. So I've been very lucky that a lot of my heroes are saying they're fans of my works. And I know, and I know people like I've kind of, I kind of accepted that like not everybody's going to like, you know, like me there. My, I might, might be their favorite beat junkie or their favorite DJ or their favorite producer or their favorite visionary. But, you know, but if people, someone like Dilla or Premier or Pete Rock or, you know, or, or, or Cypress Hill say they love, they love the work and, you know, like, Man, I mean, what can I say? You know, yeah. it's like, you know, it's just like it, 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 it doesn't matter. You know, because <laughs> like you can't pay, you can't pay for that shit. That's right. in, that's earned. That's you know, that's a uh, uh, heart. Excuse the the pun, but that's hard to earn on some gangstar shit. You know, yeah, that's like, no doubt. You know, like that's you can't. You know, and uh, some people. You know, again, people are gonna. You, you're not going to please everyone. That was a hard, hard pill to swallow. Like no one's going to like what you do, but as long as you're staying true to yourself, I think that's the thing too, is like, you know, certain relationships is like just being true to who you are. If you're an asshole, if you're always been an asshole, it's going to show. Yeah. Yeah. And I also learned too, and that kind of, I had a lot of things growing up that made me kind of realize like, don't be an asshole because it's like, you know, I learned it the hard way. And I'm glad I learned it the hard way. It's like, I've also realized that it doesn't matter what you've done. 
or you know who you're if you're you know you could be the greatest i don't know be the greatest dj greatest this greatest that but if you're an asshole as a person all your accolades don't really matter right that's just me though no no i mean yeah a thousand percent man you know you mentioned too just shouting out the dilla book and you were actually on dilla's last tour um over in europe man Back in 2005, you know, I wanted to ask you, man, you know, what, what stood out from that, that tour, just the, the energy, the experience, like what, what was that, what was that like for you? Man. Uh, well, I mean, shit, I remember like it was yesterday. Um, the fact that Dilla asked me to be his, 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 his DJ for the tour still blows my mind to this day. Cause usually J rock, you know, J-Rock's, you know, the unofficial third member of J-Lib. So he usually DJs for, for Mad Lib. And then of course, when Dilla came to LA and, you know, and whatnot, um, you know, really like Dilla and Mad Lib and Jay, they all hang out together a lot and shit. I used to kind of like, I used to get jealous of Jay. Like, damn, you get to hang out with them? I mean, I, oh, Mad Lib, Otis, you know, that's the homie and stuff. But like Dilla, that, but that's Dilla, right? So um, I've been lucky to be involved it were you know got to be part of the inner circle of you know his la circle you know because he has his you know detroit then he has his new york and stuff but you know to be part of the la circle and dill is the one of the most nicest guys because he's also the most private and he's also the type of person that if you piss him off he'll he'll let you know mm. like he you know he, he's no no holds barred he'll let you he'll let you off you know he'll scream at you and shit like that so um but yeah, I mean, the fact that, you know, I was able to be part of that circle and, you know, be friends with Dilla, you know, um, I remember, uh, yeah, when Dilla officially moved to LA and shit like that, um, I said, he's like, man, you get to start throwing out the W sign, man, the West Coast. And he next, you know, if you look at the pictures, like, you know, he starts throwing out the W sign and shit like that. You know, so he loved L.A. because L.A. loved him and stuff. Like he was really appreciated. You know, pe- you know people appreciated Dilla. He felt the love. Um, uh, yeah, but just to have him ask me to be his 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 tour DJ, I mean, I and, and the funniest thing I knew, I've always known he was sick. Just you know, whether it be Jay, whether it be uh, Wolf, you know, or Wolf, or you know, B plus or anyone that was like, yeah, man, Dilla's sick and shit like that. But I didn't know how to extent until I saw him until we go to the airport, you know, LAX and shit to board the plane. I just like, and see him, you know, in a wheelchair, that kind of like freaked me out. Um, But in hindsight, because I was, you know, we were supposed to do some work, you know, together. Like I was like, you know, he wanted me to do some scratches on some shit, you know. Um, But I think in his own way, uh, he asked me to be on tour to be his DJ just since we're not going to do the work. And it's funny too, because I remember when he asked me to be his tour DJ, um, I asked Jay, I told Jay, hey man, you know, thanks for putting a good word for um, for me to be Dilla's DJ. And he says, I didn't say anything. He did it on himself. You know, I was like, oh shit. And because the craziest thing, because Dilla asked J-Rock to be his his the to be his tour DJ for this particular run, but he was already committed to DJing for Madlib. They were supposed mm-hmm. to go on a run. And ironically, that didn't happen. And then 
Next you know, I end up going, you know, so I went on this one. Um, I This was also where I really got to be close with, you know, Ma Dukes, um, Mrs. Yan- I call him Mama Yancey, really. Um, you know, uh, uh, Frank and Dank, Fat Cat. Um, me and Frank really became really like brothers because we mostly were like, hanging out. While if you know, like if Dilla was in you know in the in, a, in the in his hotel room or whatever, whatnot. Um, s- same thing with um, uh, with Dave New York, rest in peace too. Like uh, really, really became close with them. So it was like we went through a lot of shit, but it was, you know, there were some shows that were slow, but the one the best the best one, and it's it's on it's on video. You know, you can watch it on YouTube and stuff. Is when we were in Paris. That show was like fucking magical and shit. And so it was just like, but thinking about it brought chills to me and stuff. But yeah, that's one thing I can say. Dilla, like, and from what I, after finding out, like Dilla, like, like Dilla knew, you know, like, I think he kind of knew that it was just, this was his last hurrah. And he was like, I'm going to go out my way, you know, because a lot of people were saying you should not go on the road. But he said, fuck it. I'm sorry, Shay. Can I cuss? Go for it, man. Yeah, this is this. Yeah, no, this is yeah. It's a a deep story, man. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, man, like, again, you know, there's, you know, like, I'm very lucky. I'm like probably one of the last one of the few last people that was was part of his L.A. inner circle and shit. So. And and you're just reading about that. That was one of the hardest parts about that, about the the Dilla book, you know, was, you know, d- you know, kind of the way that Dan Sharness was really able to document like the tour, but also like just the, the pain that he was in and, and what he was going through to like make make these shows, make make things happen, even, you know, with everything else he was battling. Yeah. I mean, just to see him do that. Made me realize, you know, dude, I ain't shit. Here's this guy who's going through a lot of health, a lot of ish, health issues, yet he did it on his own terms. And it made you, and it makes you realize, like, well, you know, and he was he even working to this day, you know, while he's still sick and stuff. He made everything. It's everything is so it's crazy, so so real. How you know, just even from to, you know, to the donuts to release a donut. I mean, just everything. It's just so. Like it, when well, I think once he knew, he was starting. He was man, it's crazy. Sorry, I'm kind of <laughs> get a little, a little emotional about it. No, so, totally understand, man. Yeah. So, but yeah, you know. So I mean, that was that's man. Yeah, that's uh, and the fact that he wanted to be buried in L.A. He said, he said, I remember my mom, my says like uh, he wants to be buried. You know, buried in LA because everybody thought he wanted me to try. He says, "No, I want LA." Mm. That shows how much he loved LA. Yeah, that's it. And 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 in the book too, just the way that LA embraced him. You know, that's it's it's huge. Um, to to, that that was just a really cool piece of that book is to 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 read about that mutual love that was there. Yeah, I you know, I mean, you if you read it, you know. Sure, he always loved Detroit. He always represented Detroit, but I don't think he get the love that he got. New York was too a little bit too at the time. I think too more in, industry and shit like that. And then once he moved out here, when Common comment yeah, told him to move out here and stuff like that, you know. And then you see a lot of the homies were over here. You know, he's already working with you know with Madlib and Wolf and you know Egon and just 
you know, he just saw the cats, you know, he, cats he can gel with. Didn't even care about the, you know, he was, even though he'd be, you know, he'd be blinging and shit like that. He don't really care about all the, all the, all the, the glamour. And you're sometimes too, it feels like you got to sometimes leave where you're from, get love. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. before, before where you're from actually supports you. I mean, a lot of artists like little brother comes to mind, have yes. like talked about this, have put it in their lyrics that like, sometimes that hometown love is like the last love you get, right? Like you got to, right. you almost got to prove that you can be loved elsewhere before your own, own place loves you back. Yes. And so it's always sometimes like that sometimes. It's crazy. And, and I know also just from, from the Dilla, you know, not to, to, to go too far off the track here, but just how it seemed like there was a lot of expectations from a lot of different artists that he would be doing stuff for them and that he was, you know, it's, it seemed like, it seemed like a lot of people in Detroit, a lot of artists kind of had expectations and constraints on Dilla that maybe getting out maybe felt better to get away from some of that energy almost. Uh, yeah, I think so. I know he was doing some, some, I mean, of course it's been said in the book and stuff, you know, but you know, he's dealing with some, you know, some personal issues and stuff, not necessarily health also, but you know, just personal issues and stuff, right. but you know, but and I think, you know, him coming to L.A. just kind of revigorized everything and stuff and just put him in perspective and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's again. Yeah. L.A. love Dilla very much. No, that, that that's amazing, man. And thank you for sharing everything. You know, uh, DMC World Championships are coming up, you know, in November. Um, you know, based on everything that you do as a turntablist, um, teaching, still practicing, still getting better. Um, you know, what do you do to keep getting better as a DJ and as a turntablist to really not, you know, kind of get comfortable where you're at, but like to keep pushing the boundaries? Just being a teacher because, 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 and I think you can, you can attest to this when you become, when you when you become an instructor, a teacher, you become a student again. And, and it makes you, it humbles you. Cause like, like, sure. We can talk, if we were talking hip hop, we can talk about like me, you talking about just like, you know, we knew the, the language nuisance and stuff like that. But if you talk to someone that doesn't know anything, how do you break it down to them? Yeah. Right. And, and because he was like now I'm learning how to break down techniques and the concepts and philosophies it made me like, okay, I gotta practice. If I'm, I gotta make, sh I gotta make sure I know what I'm talking about. I gotta make sure my, my shit is tight. To in terms, like, if I'm teaching this, I gotta make sure I'm not being, like, I know what I'm talking about and I know what I'm doing. And then I'm, if I present it, I better do it right, or else, you know, it's like I look like a fool. And it humbled me. It's like teaching is not easy. And again, it it made me become a student and that made me become better a DJ. So I have to practice. I mean, I might, I don't practice like what we used to, where we competing for, you know, when we used to compete, you know, we used to, or whatever, we used to compete, like practice when I, when we were younger, like the six to eight hours and stuff. I mean, um, if I can get in a good hour, 30 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, whatever. Um, if, if I'm not practicing, I'm listening to music or I'm, you know, or if I've seen other DJs, I get inspired or whatever, or try it out, you know? So, um, one way or another, uh, I'm practicing, whether it be physically or mentally, if that makes any sense. Yeah. 
And where do you see, you know, just the future of turntablism going? Um, when you when you look at what the kids are doing, you look at the at the legends that are still doing it. Like, how do you see turntablism evolving? Um, just you know, as an art form. I don't know. This is the same question has been asked ten years ago, twenty years ago. Um, before we used to say it. now, I mean, you don't know. I, I honestly don't know. It depends. The art of turntablism, or just DJing in general, or hip hop DJing. I, you know, I don't know. It's that's uh the 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 possibilities are endless. But I think also we just uh, you know at least for our part, it's like still at least talk about the, the traditions, the the history of it, and the fundamentals. You know, uh, everything involves. You know, but we just gotta like. Just make sure that that uh, at least the cultural and the the fundamental parts of it still is intact, you know. And if as long as that they rem- like, that's the thing too is like we have to, we're trying to at least tell people like, hey man, you know, learn, you know, learn who this or well, the shoulders you stand on, you know, mm. you know, because unfortunately, there's a lot of our, our elders, a lot of our OGs, they never got the the just do, um, um. Even then, if they're starting to get the just do, there's other people there that hasn't, you know, you know, didn't get the just do's. And it's usually, it's always the 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 first the first generation that never gets the the acknowledgement. But um, uh, there's so many possibilities, you know. Technology is like again, technology is is so much dope shit. You can use it to your advantage, but we're just trying to tell them not, to, you know. For those who are willing to listen and willing to learn, it's like, yo, don't use that as, as your crutch. Use that as a tool. And in a day, you still got it as a DJ. You got to still use your ears instead of watching the screen, trying to you know, like mm. look like you're using it, like you're reading an email while you're DJing. You mm. know, you know, D, we tell our students DJing is the ultimate multitask. You know, you got to learn how to, it's like, there's no easy way. You know, like, I mean, I mean, there is, I mean, if you just use, if you're using digital, it's always easy, but you're not easy. Doesn't always meant you're going to be good, you know? Yeah. So this is, yeah, I don't know. That's it's as, as long as I think that uh, like, you know, you know, like us, you know, Rob Swift, you know, for the executioners, DJ, you know, teaching too, as well. He's been teaching for a while, you know, whoever is willing to teach the culture, the uh, the techniques and the fundamentals and stuff like that, you know, and the philosophy of it, you know, I, you know, they'll still be around. It might not be as a lot of people said, you know, sure. I wish there could be more people or, you know, like willing, more accepting, but you know, you can't just, that's the thing. You can't worry about that. You just got to do your best to contribute. Cause if we don't, if we worry about, well, Oh, everybody wants things to change overnight. And you know, well, you know, as well as I do, that doesn't, it's, that's, that's not reality. You just right. have to, you just have to drop the seeds and then hopefully whoever, you know, picks up on it, you know, they, they add on to it and, and there's, you know, we have strong roots and, it, and you know, they have that, you know, the only thing we can do is just do our best to, to share and pass the knowledge along and stuff, hopefully. And, and whatever they do with that, and then they take it to the next level. Cause there's so many, there's so many dope DJs, man. They just like, you know, instead of me just complaining about what they're not doing, it's like, man, why is this constant? It's like the music. Just concentrate the artists or DJs or producers you like. Why worry about what, you know, if you don't like that, why, 
why waste your energy complaining about it? Yeah. No, that's a great point, man. And and Rhett, man, I appreciate you being so generous with your time in here. It's it's been it's been great. You know, just a great conversation. Great to have you here, man. No, thank you. I mean, I'm I'm honored again. You know, so I mean, shit. I mean, it's uh, as well as you know, like being finding out that it's 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 Filipino American uh, Heritage Month. Me being Filipino American and stuff. So that's kind of cool. You know, just to contribute to also my you know my culture and stuff like that. Cause it's like, I tell people that if it wasn't for hip hop, I wasn't able to uh, appreciate my own or learn about my own culture. That's really cool. Can, can you elaborate on that? Yeah. So, uh, it's interesting. So obviously you would know that I am not, I am not black. I'm not African-American. I'm not Latino and majority of majority, majority of, you know, Hip hop was based upon black and Latino. Of course, there we might get some people like disagreeing and stuff like that. I mean, there's I'm I'm talking about when when hip hop was really being formed and formulated to what it is today. Not like beforehand, before hip hop, but you know, and the, the the origins of what's you know what happened in Bronx and New York. It's, you know, it's pre- predominantly black and Latinos uh, here in the West Coast. It's black and Latinos, but you also had Asians that were involved with it. Um, the inside joke is that Filipinos were the Puerto Ricans of the West Coast, or let alone LA, because there's a you know there's a big. If you go to L, if you go to LA, if you go to San Diego, you go to the Bay Area. There's a big Filipino community, and there was always involved in shit. You know, uh, even not only Filipinos, but like you know Pacific Islanders, like Samoans, right? You know, and then of course Japanese and Chinese and stuff. But um, you know. Some of the best DJs that, you know, not, which I don't, you know, like it's pretty weird. interesting is that a lot of the dopest, one of the, some of the dopest DJs are happen to be Filipinos. <laughs> you know? so, I mean, Babu, myself, Mixmaster Mike, Qbert, Shortcut, D Styles, <laughs> you know? just to name a few. And shit. So, um, yeah, uh, Filipino, Filipinos, Filipino Americans been involved, you know, in, in the, in the, in the, in the history of of uh, of West Coast or LA hip hop uh, in general, stuff like that. You know, they might not be rappers, but they were mostly either DJs or graph artists or or or, or dancers. You know, so um, I mean, like the earliest, like some of the er- like uh, an OG OG Filipino American um, Nasty Ness. I don't know if you're familiar with DJ Nasty yeah. Ness. Yeah, good dude. I, dude. I talked to him way back in the day. Probably yeah, nasty, remember me? Right, nasty ness, dude. All the way in Seattle, but he's yeah. Filipino. Dude, was Sir Mix a lot, and he was featured on Easy, you know, in the, at the end of Easy E's radio, you know, this like that, you know. Who you tribe? Who were Samoans? They before they were even rappers, they were known as the Blue City Crew. They were a popping crew, one of the best popping crews in L.A. They were they were featured in this 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 LA documentary called Breaking and Entering, you know, uh, that was that came out in the eighties, you know. If you watch, besides them, you'll notice in the people in the crowd, you might see some Asians in there. Some I had some friends that from from a rival high school that made into that documentary. That was like a big thing where I was like, oh shit, like his name is Peter Gomez. I was like, yo man, you see Peter Gomez doing windmills over there on Breaking and Entering? That was a big shit. You know, um, a lot of, you know, 
a lot of the the, the minor you know uh, minorities or whoever living here was growing up to Uncle Jam's Ahmed and K Day Mix Masters, you know, or in world class wrecking crew, whatever yeah. it was you know. So I mean, yeah, there's a it's always been um a big uh, uh a big uh 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 participation into the in the in the um in the hip hop culture here in LA at least you know in in the, at least in California and all the way out to Seattle and stuff like that you know um so it was it was, it was like I, I think it had to do also because you know us being minorities minorities and stuff and in uh um our parents you know, came here, you know, from the Philippines to come here to have a better life and assimilate, you know, have our kids, have their kids assimilate, you know. And of course, we, we, whatever reason, we, we you know, we identify with what was going on with the blacks and Latinos because we felt the same way and stuff, you know, the, you know, being minorities and stuff like that. So, yeah. And then, you know, being just recently now that you see a lot of, you know, Filipino Americans are now like involved in the, in, in, in hip hop or even the music industry. Cause there wasn't, we didn't have any heroes, right. We didn't have no Michael Jackson's. We didn't have no uh, Michael Jordan's. We didn't have no magic Johnson's. The closest we would have at the time would be Bruce Lee. Cause he's Asian and stuff like that. Right. Either our parents or Bruce Lee. And then maybe Dan and Santo, uh, who was Bruce Lee's right-hand man. He's Filipino. He's the one that taught him, uh, uh, how to use the ninchucks and the, and the screaming sticks. You might have seen him. Uh, he he was the guy that Bruce Lee went against at the game of death when they were doing the ninchuck duels and stuff like that. That's that's Bruce Lee's number one fan, uh, number one student, Filipino, uh, Filipino American and stuff like that. Uh, it's not until like someone like and then of course there's Ernie Ray, Ernie Reyes Jr. The small you know you might know him from uh, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or uh, Surf Ninjas and stuff like that. Or he was in uh, uh, um. The last dragon, that little kid, that little Asian kid, that was he was he was Filipino and stuff. That was like a big thing because we didn't see anyone that we can identify, and that was not until someone like Hubert, you know, who won, you know, he's one year older than me, but the fact that he won the a USC DMC championship and made it to the world finals, you know, that that changed everything for a lot of us because most of our parents, you know, especially if you're immigrants, Filipino. Parents want, you know, want their kids to go to finish school, get a degree, uh, get a job. And, you know, like they frown upon entertainment thing, you know, going into entertainment and stuff like that. So um, they didn't know, you know, they don't know anything like about what's this hip hop thing. So someone like Kubert uh, winning something that made us like, OK, he could do it. I can do it, too. And then you and then you see it all over. Like now you got someone like say Chad Hugo, part of the Neptunes, Filipino, uh, Apple Apple the App, who's part of uh, uh, Black Eyed Peas. I know I know I know Black Eyed Peas before they were Black Eyed Peas. They were at Band Clan and Tribal Nation. Will 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 I Am was Will One X. <laughs> they were signed to Easy. They were signed to Ruthless Records and stuff. You know, you got like you got like you know and eventually now you got someone like Illmind, who's now a grammy award winning producer but in the early days he was working with you know everyone from little brother you know to to superstition uh to to, to sky zoo now he's you know now he's doing you know he's doing musicals doing he you know did this uh the the, the did the the moana soundtrack you know the the disney mo uh cartoon uh animation he's doing big things doing sound packs uh 
yeah, man, it's just it's cool. This, you know, of course, you know, Babs is part of you know, also part of dilated peoples. I'm part of the visionaries, you know, and shit like that. So you know, it's like you see, you know, visible scratch pickles are like you know, all Filipino DJ crew, even though they're like you know, and they're one of the major D, you know, turntable crews, you know, and the golden era of, of um, the turntablist eras and shit like that. So you know, it's crazy, you know. So, but our thing was coming up was just like. We didn't want you to look at us as like we're dope Asian or dope Filipino DJs. No, we want you to look at us as that we're dope DJs that happen to be Filipino Americans or Asian American, whatever, whatnot. You know, it's all about our skills, not our skin color. No doubt, man. I mean, what, I appreciate the the thorough history um, you just you just laid out there too. I mean, what do you think? You know what? What would what would proper recognition you think look like within the hip hop community for you know just the contributions of of, of Filipino artists? Uh, being acknowledged. I mean, again, goes back to saying my heroes acknowledging who I am. <laughs> that's all you know. I mean, that's a that's a big cosign. You know, I mean, look at her, the artist. Her, she's half Filipino, half black, and she's like one of the biggest R and B. You know singers for this generation and stuff like that you know she's working with everybody you know and she, you know it's cool that it's cool that she's it's like she's showing both her being black and being filipino so um um yeah i, I think the the big knowledge for our work and our skills and you know like i think i mean i don't know it's it maybe different now because it's a different you know but again like to have someone you know someone you look up to you know did you listen to and they're like yo i'm fans of your work that to me that's again it's more than anything more than any 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 big check or even awards and stuff just to be just to be acknowledged by the greats and then to be listed part you know like i mean it goes back again to saying i can't be the one saying i'm the greatest or like that it has to be it has to be the people or the history to say that that we're part of that lineage you know right so you know like I mean, sure, there's only a few people who can say that they're the greatest, but it's like, you know, at the end of the day, it's really, it's not you who determines if you're great or not. It's the, it's, 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 it's history, it's the, it's the people. And, right. and so to go back to what you're saying is just like, as a Filipino American, it's, I, I, I'm already representing who I am. You already see it. I'm not black. I'm not Latino. I'm not this or that. So, you know, I'm some type of Asian or Pacific Islander or whatever. So that just shows like, yo, there it goes. So-and-so from the beat junkies. He's dope. Oh, shit, he's Filipino? <laughs> yes, you know? So, and that was a hard thing, too, to come up during the L.A. thing, the L.A. scene, too, as well. It's like we had to work hard, 10 times harder just to be respected 